What you're telling me is it's offensive that we would play a fictional children's video game that features concepts like terrorism and bombs. But you're fine with ESL being owned by the Saudi Public Investment Fund while Saudi Arabia is actually bombing the country of Yemen and killing people with bombs. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Side Select. Uh, some grumpy old men talking about esports i'm your host foxrock i'm joined of course by thorin and by rich as every week and we got some cool stuff to talk about today but before we do that let me introduce my beautiful friends here uh rich thorin i have a question for you guys what is your most unpopular controversial food opinion i'll start to give you a, an example steak is overrated it's not that good it's a slab of meat it's whatever any takers on who wants to go first? Whoa, 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 whoa. It's a pretty wild take, I have to say. Because I have to say, <laughs> if I had to pick literally one of the most universally like good types of food, steak would probably be like in the top five. It's, it's on the short list, definitely. So the first thing I'm immediately thinking of, and obviously this is so incredibly unfair and uncharitable, is I'm immediately imagining you as someone going into like a fucking pub, ordering, you don't even know what type of steak, just whatever steak they have on the menu. Well steak done. of the day. Well done. There you go. It's fucking <laughs> chunky chips on the side lager and then going you know what steak's not really that good is it actually like so that, essentially you have to get you can't keep us in suspense are you actually like a foodie do you know do you know food i'm not, not really sure. a foodie no, okay I'm fair not enough really a foodie, to be fair i've just I, when i've experienced it people hype it up to be like you know it's like you're, eat, you're eating just yeah, like, yeah the greatest gift to man I sort of get it in a sense right like as in I, when I, I come from a poor background so I used to also think steak was mad over it but that's actually why it's because I, my family only ever bought like cheap steak like rump steak or something and essentially because we were having like cheap cuts of meat yeah everything was well done of course it's like mm. so essentially I never actually knew what steak tasted like but when I actually it's basically when I got some CSGO fucking day rates I started <laughs> you know you go to the hotel room at the end of the day you're hungry you get that filet mignon comes medium that's the game changer right there Foxtop that'll change your fucking life mate all right a year, a year after that you'll be shelling out fucking 200 euro for wagyu fucking probably go rare at that point in time that's when we'll have you we'll have you hooked eventually don't worry mate but okay, i think okay. before we go any further i don't think fox has been truly honest or at least aware with his with his opinion because last time he was talking about putting fucking bovril on toast which i think is personally more controversial obviously i had that the other day the triple toast the bubble, the jam, and the teller, and I thought of you two, and I was going to take a picture. Together, that's that. horrible, though. Yeah. Even if that's <laughs> so you like it, wouldn't that together be horrible? I'm picturing like I a fucking wedding cake of jam okay. with uh, Nutella okay. and bubble. You that... start with the jam because that's the sweet taste, and then you move on. Because if you have Nutella first, then it, you can taste the Nutella with the jam. But if you have the jam first, and you don't taste the jam and Nutella, so then you, you keep your taste separate. Surely it's no savoury first, drop. no? The problem with this fuck job is I just have to check because you two all know, right? We haven't done that many episodes so essentially the problem is i actually have a take that goes perfectly in this category but i don't know if i did it on a past episode did i do my rant about how british food is actually underrated yes you did yeah oh, i already did it then don't worry about okay. it <laughs> that is, i remember that i'm not sure i remember give you cliff's notes my controversial opinion is that actually british food is underrated and that's because 
Anyone who tells you it sucks who is a foreigner, there are always two facts that immediately come into play. One, they always forget English breakfast exists, even though they're the cunts going on and on about how important breakfast is. And an English breakfast yeah. destroys a croissant. Like, it's not even a fucking debate, <laughs> is it? Like, And then the other... And also, you know when they always go, huh, I've never had British food. Every fucking hotel in the entire world, English breakfast. You idiot. You don't even have pancakes every fucking hotel. Like, you actually are categorically wrong on that. It's just, guess what? When you cherry pick what's right, then you get to be right all the time. And then the other one, and I always say it a million times, is I've never met a person who told me English food sucks but knows what Yorkshire puddings or a roast dinner is. I've never met anyone, ever. Even though, by the way, the worst part about that is the literal fucking name for English people in France is roast beef. And you've never even had it. That would be like me going, there's not even any good food in Italy. Well, what have you ever had? Have you ever had, like, pasta, pizza, like... No, what is that? I've just had a fucking sausage roll that kill yourself. Like, that doesn't even make sense, does it? Like, you've got to try the best before you can say it sucks. So that's all I'll say. Those are the two things. I won't say everything else, but those two things. Actually, there's a third thing. Okay. There's a third thing. Because here's the third. They forget this one as well, Rich. Everyone loves snacks, right? Effectively, a hamburger, the old ones, a small one, is supposed to be like a snack. It's a small food, right? Not this shit now with 10 hamburgers stacked. Well, you know what? A bacon sandwich kicked the fuck out of a normal hamburger. Tell you that right now, but here's the other problem. You all have opinions and you've never even had bacon, you morons. I know I've lived in other countries. Aside from basically Denmark, as far as I can tell, you can't bloody find proper back bacon like everyone else in England. So A, you don't know what bacon is. B, you don't know what breakfast is. And C, you don't know what a roast dinner is. So maybe if you think British food sucks, fucking try some, you idiot. Going, but fish and chips, nobody eats fish and chips. Old people at fucking seaside towns doing, by the way, they're dying and the seaside towns are dying. So I won't even worry about that one. It'll take care of itself in 10 years. There you oh, go. I've updated it for you. There you go. Maybe and, you know that you only have fish and chips every now and then, don't you? It's not yeah, like a fucking yeah, staple yeah, yeah. of our dinner. The difference is, Americans, you motherfuckers do eat burger and chips every, like, two days. You can't. We don't. That's, like, a fucking rare thing that you have the fish and chips. Also, by the way, side note, no one even eats it anymore now because the cod's, like, gone up to, like, five pounds for the cod instead of, like, two or whatever. Like, that. that's the first more. inflation I ever saw. That was the craziest one ever. Like, I went in one day, like, what? Cost yeah. what? <laughs> Yeah, canned hey, drinks, Freddos, and fish and chips, mate. That's where you get it. That's I had to pay see. a quid at the Seven up. What the fuck? Exactly. Fifty pence. That. Everyone knows that. Exactly. exactly. Literally, literally fifty p. All right, Rich. I don't know how you're going to follow that up. To yeah, no, I, I just, <laughs> I just say that even even stuff that like Americans associate with their own cuisine, like apple pies, for example. Spoiler alert: that's an English traditional English that. thing. Like, exactly. Like our our cuisine outdates the, the the life cycle of your country. Like, funnily enough, most of that stuff comes from us. But yeah, so my to actually answer Foxdrop's question because I'm not entirely sure that you did, but we'll move swiftly. That's a controversial food opinion. I think that's oh, yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess, I guess. British food is good, effectively. Yeah. Is what oh, I'm saying, and I'd also, I'd also say, I probably said this on the last podcast, I always say this whenever people say British food sucks. We do literally everyone else's food almost as well as they do. Like, if you go to a London, like, in London and go to any restaurant, like, fucking chuck a dart, lands on Italian, amazing... Yeah. Chinese, like sushi, whatever, like we do it just as well, almost as they do, obviously. Agreed. Um, That's actually underrated, by the way. There's a lot of capital cities in Europe. You can get the food, but it won't be as good. It won't be yeah. anywhere close. I mean, Ber Berlin Germany, is a classic. Germany, an obvious one. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my, my controversial food take uh, is that my story about the Michelin star restaurant, I think, personally, is more of a sob story than I was given credit for. <laughs> And I just think that the average viewer oh, right. is too poor to emphasize with okay. it. So that's my take. Moving on. Okay. The right. awful story was we didn't 
didn't tug the heartstrings apparently maybe it just didn't resonate with the crowd you know the esports crowd needs to really get on their french alps if, if, if any of the French. people watching this ever become successful then they can go back look at that episode be in my shoes and they can feel what it was like to get something that you didn't want from a Michelin star restaurant. I think it's well, the, joke was, the joke was Foxtrop. Of course, it wasn't the Swiss Alps. His family isn't fucking made of money. It was just the French Alps. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, that was like his ridiculous touch, like you know, distinction he needed to make. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh dear me! All right, that was a banger over there. Excellent. We can good. move on to talk about some esports now. Let's start with some Counter Strike. Counter Strike meta. It's, but there have been rumblings about it. it's a little bit stale. Professional players aren't too happy with how things are going, and there's a viewing experience for maybe a little bit. And um, there was a new map added, I believe it was October, November time ish. Ancient, but before then, the last time anything changed was 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 uh, three three years ago. Like, like what was it? What's it called? Vertigo. You know that's yes. and, and still even now people don't really play Ancient. They don't really play Vertigo. So. Uh, I'm asking you guys, what do you think we need to do to spice up the CSGO meta, if anything, uh, and does it go around or start and begin with with uh, with maps? So I'm going to come to you first, Rich. Um, well, one what where I would start is that one thing that got dropped um, a while ago for people that don't know is they did actually used to rotate. Uh, maps for different tournaments like there was a phase uh during csgo where that, that was a thing i'm not really sure what instigated that to begin with and why it stopped happening in the first place i remember cobble was in and out of the meta obviously dust got dropped at one point in time then they changed a few of the broken aspects about that and brought it back but there was actually a concept of rotating maps i think that is interesting in itself because obviously it forces teams to have more rounded map pools and uh you know as um we were talking about it a bit before the show and as Thorin pointed out like some teams will just and are able to get away with just not learning certain maps because of the, the ban system so yeah I do think it would actually be interesting especially with the niche maps like I don't think it should be random and on like a full carousel but I think the tournament organizers should actually pay attention to which maps and which teams are abusing one tricking essentially or you know it's not quite one tricking but basically dodging certain maps and kind of force some of these teams to actually learn them to a certain extent because i don't think it's a controversial opinion at all to say that a team that is like nine out of ten on every map should be rewarded for that versus a team that's 10 out of 10 on two maps and six on the other maps um so i do think first and foremost regardless of how many maps they add or don't add I would like to see some version of that brought back for sure. Um, I think there's a couple of important aspects here that I think are worth touching on. One is just to do with the game itself and its own ecosystem. The other one is to do with the fact that Valorant is now a direct competitor, you could say, to CSGO and how that changes things. Uh, touching on that first, I think you know, one of the biggest distinguishing factors about Valorant is obviously when you're in a CSGO game, every character is the same. They've just got random different skins or whatever, they're the same. In Valorant, obviously, they have abilities and they can do different things. That means that these guys, Riot, get to release quote-unquote new agents, I think they're called in Valorant, every, well, however often they want to, and that is always going to drastically change the meta. It's not just going to affect that singular character. Every possible interaction you can imagine between every variant of characters now is affected right so they they have a much easier way of spicing up the meta rather than just you know changing a bringing out a new map or changing the map order or tweaking a, a gun a buff or nerfing the strength of a gun so i do actually think that it could potentially be a bit problematic if riot shows competency over a long period of time that they are able to continually fresh up 
freshen up the game without just destroying the balance of the game. Um, the other main issue I have, which as I said is sort of more endemic to just the game itself, is that I actually think that CS maps should be pretty easy to make. One of the reasons why I'm kind of surprised that there haven't been more maps that have sort of come to the forefront and replaced some of the weaker maps. In my opinion, Dust 2 is still a bad map. I, don't, I think even since the rework, personally, I don't think that's a good map. And the reason why I say I think it should be easy to make good Counter-Strike maps is you know exactly what you're dealing with. This is a game that has been out in different renditions for over 20 years. You know how the game works. You know how people peak. You know how choke points work and how people abuse utility and can easily, if I get a CSGO pro and show him a map he's never seen before, he'll immediately be able to tell me 70% of the things you're going to be able to do and abuse on that map. Just because corners are all the same like you know it, it, things don't change how you spot aim doesn't change so with that in mind i am very surprised there haven't been, by the way i also think vertigo is a whack map this is just my personal opinion i think it's a fucking shocking map i don't understand how we have not come up with a better map than vertigo in the last however many years of people making custom maps so that to me i guess is the most unforgivable part of all this <laughs> that i don't even know if there are like really good maps that are being rejected by TOs or, or not able to catch the main, the appeal of the mainstream or not. But yeah, I guess I guess that's uh that's 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 what I would I would say on that. I think that's the most egregious part. Um of course I'm not a massive insider when it comes to what Valve is is doing or how things are being promoted to TOs or whatever. So maybe there is a mass conspiracy to just keep all these really well made maps down. But I'm not I'm not aware of them to be honest. I'm not aware of like a bunch of sick maps. Right, here we go. This yeah. is a big topic, but I've got a bunch for you on this. So, first of all, on the angle of the maps we currently have, right, the way they do it at the moment is there is actually no rhyme or reason generally as to which map comes out to be replaced by the new map. The only thing I would say is thus far there was sort of a pattern, like they were working through all the maps. They haven't done Mirage, I will say, but the other ones, like, for example, like Dust 2 did come back. Like, essentially, they take some of them out and either rework it and bring them back later, which is mainly the way they do it, or they had a couple they added, like Overpass and Cobble, obviously. Obviously, Cobble technically is a rework of a map from CS 1.6. The problem is this, is Valve decides all of that, and they even decide competitively if we use them in the tournament. So the main problem is there have been times where Valve took out maps that actually maybe people liked, like Cash was a very good, that was actually a better version of Dust 2 for me. Like, I thought that was a pretty good map, good map to play, but they just decide if they take it in or out. So the problem is at the moment, eSports doesn't really interact with whether this map angle comes in, and that is reflected in people who make maps. So despite what Rich says 99.999% of map makers don't have any connection with esports at all. That's why actually Cash, funnily enough, was very famous because it was made by a former pro working with someone to help convert a source map. That's actually a rare instance of where someone who was from esports tried to like apply their thoughts, like Rich is saying, of how would people attack this or what would you do with utility. Other maps essentially was just like I would describe it as like a, just a raw, almost like Darwinian natural selection filter. It's the idea that like some maps were just selected and the ones that weren't were and then we played them and we just got good on the maps and then if people don't know in 1.6 we actually started with all the maps and then we just eliminated all the ones that were inappropriate essentially it wasn't that someone designed them and we were like brilliant let's play that it's the other way around we had to play them all and find out what's good so the problem is in terms of like how does Valve make the pools at the moment? They don't really. We don't really. It's, it's, we can only talk hypothetically about that. But if we talk about what I would want to happen, my problem is this: is some of the maps Valve has brought in in the last few years, I thought weren't that great. Like the rework of Nuke at one point in time was was pretty dodgy for a while. As you see, Vertigo came in. The only reason people accepted Vertigo is because eventually Ancient became, and it was just like, right, well, it's, 
it's not the worst, I guess. But the other one's worse. So it made some people play it. So it was a way you did get like a little bit more activity. But ancient, quite a few people ban that now. I don't. I don't think the last few maps they've done have been very good. Unfortunately, they have done some that were amazing. Like the rework of the overpass, I think is the best map in the game. So I have to give them credit for that. Sometimes the approach has worked, but generally I haven't been a huge fan of the approach they took. So my issue is I just don't like the idea like Valve arbitrarily wakes up one day and just decides right that map's out because I want there to be a logic. Like one thing I always wanted personally is the beautiful thing about Counter-Strike is unlike League of Legends there will always be viability for totally different playing styles in Counter-Strike no matter what the meta is and the maps play into that though so to me what I want and I've always wanted is I'll give you an example in Valorant right they take the agents and bit like they have like a they their classes of agent are based on what it does in the game basically is it a controller is it an initiator is it a duelist right I want them to do that with maps and sort of have like right so overpass and back in the day like cobbles these are like really tactical maps train maps like does two mirage cash they're more sort of like loose individualistic map. i'd like there to be categories so that you could maintain a map balance and that way you could always ensure that essentially if you're good enough there's somewhere in the meta you can go to find some tools that work for you because the problem at the moment when they just take it in and out arbitrarily is you'll get times where the map pool might just be super skewed to the poggy maps and therefore you could just be like fanatic and just have individual players or mega and win off team play but then if you made the map pool so it was all overpass train couple then someone like astralis would immediately be favored so i want it to be more like everyone's style in theory can work and then it's how good you are as a player decides it and then on the other angle which is like the concept of making the maps this is where I just want them to take in this concept that they had in Korean StarCraft. So in Korean StarCraft, because the, the game developer hadn't updated StarCraft for like a decade at one point in time, because it was the old game before StarCraft 2, they used to just have, for the actual leagues, their own programming people who made maps and they would just work on a pool of maps every season or so and they would do it kind of like Counter-Strike they'd bring like two in take two out and then you know one of them turns out to be good you keep that in the map pool long term one might just be a gimmick map that like only Zerg wins on so that that immediately gets filtered out because it's you know it's obvious the win rate's too skewed for one so to me like that's like the that's how I would see it if Valve did it the way you're talking about it's like they'd have to empower like a group of coders or people who know the esports side of it and put them in position because unfortunately Unfortunately, as far as I know, Valve is the bottleneck. Like, all you need to know is I did an interview with the person who made the map cache, and he wouldn't even give a straight answer as to how does one actually get a map in the game? Like, what are the things Valve decides upon? Like, what do you have to do to get in? Because essentially, the, it's so secretive how you do it, because you end up making money off it if it gets in, apparently, that essentially, like... With all game devs, they don't share power. So essentially, if they ever feel a tile annoyed at you, you're out. So they're all, every map maker's like on pins and needles. They don't ever really talk about, they don't criticize them. So at the moment, unfortunately, it is just Valve that decides does a map go in or not. So there might be loads of mega maps, whereas you have to realize in CS 1.6, where Valve wasn't in, in, involved at all, there was actually a period, I think it was in like 2011 or something, where a bunch of the TOs at ESL and Dream just decided we're going to add two maps to the pool. We're going to make it instead of a five map pool, it went to a seven map pool. And that, they just decided and they used community maps to do it but that has, just hasn't been a factor unfortunately in CSGO which I will say I think actually sucks for the future of the franchise because as I say the people who made the original maps that we play to this day like Dust 2 Inferno they weren't from esports and they definitely didn't have to ask Valve's permission they just made the map it got put out there people played it, it it was popular, therefore it went into the game. I'd prefer something like that, you know. But that's what I find so weird. It's like that you, we, Valve have shown that they, under certain circumstances, will allow a community map to be in, objectively, because it has been. Yet, yeah, yeah. coincidentally, and obviously this says something as you alluded to about how the power dynamic works, 
shock horror like most of the maps are Valve maps, which is just really weird because you would think, again, over such a long period of time, there's so much untapped potential oh, for that sure they have is. not yes. like exerted at all. They haven't explored it whatsoever. Like, what are the odds that Dust 2 is actually like just a sick, amazing map? Like, the reason why I, uh, Dust 2 is so iconic isn't because it was a really good map. It's because it's the original map that people associate with 5v5 diffuse gameplay yes like that's why it's iconic not because oh my god it was so well balanced oh yeah it's not stupid at all these massive line of sights that happen at spawn like no one thought that so i find it really strange unless they are just enjoying like the smell of their own farts and they're not actually sort of understanding the nuance because every time they go on twitter they see the people they follow who reminisce about dust 2 still i don't really understand why they haven't explored this because again long term for them business wise i assume it'd be way better if you know the fans were getting back sure. and again as i said because they have to compete <laughs> against valorant who i they have like inbuilt mechanisms that mean certain new stuff is guaranteed to come out all the time i think that could actually be something that could you know contribute to to where csgo finds itself as a, a top tier esport the other thing i would just say on that because uh that you mentioned before about how you know what they did with starcraft which is you know bringing in new maps for certain seasons maybe the good ones say maybe they don't i do think that's important that if you have a good like if, if it is the consensus that this is a good map unless five uh, you know five nine months down the line someone's like actually wait no this is inherently broken we found an exploit if you use a thing here or whatever and it just can't be fixed barring something extreme i do think a good map that enters a pool should stay there for a while because the thing i really like about cs versus like my native game for example like call of duty is because those idiots bring out a new game every year all this, you don't even know what the optimum smoke lineups and stuff are because you don't have enough time to even figure it out. Like, it takes at least two years, in my opinion, at least to like truly master a map uh, while it's out and in the competitive space. And you're just going to limit yourself massively if you're just constantly putting things in and out. And I don't think they need to do, like, that much. Like, to me, Vertigo still feels like a new map, even though it's been out for ages. But that's just, you know, again... Uh, because also they haven't really brought out any maps for ages, so I don't know. I, th I think it's I think it's weird. I think it is Valve shooting themselves in the foot, and I do think they should be more open. And by the way, I would just say on ca I d why did Cash get removed? Presumably the guy who was being very secretive didn't really tell you, but Cash is a way better map than Ancient and Vertigo. And I would actually say some of the traditional five maps as well. I prefer Cash to. So yeah, I don't know. Very very strange. One thing I would say though is this, like, which is I actually think Moses has fucking he's cut the Guardian knot. Just no one gets it. This is why you know Valve does this to the community. I'm not joking. Something like five years ago, Moses came up with what I think is actually the most genius idea ever. He said, since as you're talking about, there are maps that have classic elements of their architecture that are just good that just work. His idea was instead of taking the map out and totally reworking it or bringing a new map in, why not just have it where like every couple of years you just like alter like the bomb site set up so for example say you play mirage now when you go on the air bomb site those boxes are in a different spot so now suddenly smokes work differently cover works differently like that would be a really cool idea because on the one hand you're not altering everything you could like tweak one thing at a time but you, you're making it so people have to like develop new things it'd, it'd give it a bit of spice and you might even refine some of the maps and make them better who knows maybe there's like an element that makes one map not that great that if you took out suddenly it'd be a fucking sick map it's happened before with maps like cobblestone so uh, that i think that would be a great approach i think that would also be a very clever way that in theory you don't have to have a new map but it becomes sort of a new map and then also the other thing is let me think there's one more thing i was going to say there oh i will just say this one last thing i don't though overall agree with the premise which is you have to understand i'm a real cs fan like i would watch people play the best maps 
the same teams forever. I'll never get bored of that. To me, that genuinely is like someone going, when are they going to change an NFL field? It's like, that would never even come in my mind, mate. If you like the NFL, you like it. If you don't, probably nip over to some other sport, you know. To me, Counter-Strike is sort of a game that's about the fact that you have these known quantities that go back years and years. I don't want it to be too much like the leagues and Valorants where the meth... Like, I hate, by the way, the fact that, like, if I'm fucking the shy and then tomorrow only tanks are played top lane, you've just nerfed my entire game. I think that sucks, personally, but I'm a boomer, obviously. But I think I think it's more... For me, it's more about the, the what I think the perfect middle ground would be, not, like, introducing maps on an annualised basis or something. It's more that... Get rid of all the maps that everyone basically, other than Valve, agrees are completely shit. Have the, uh, let's say, two new maps come in to replace those maps. And let's say you have nine maps in total. And then you rotate those maps and tweak them. Like, let's say there's a six... Well, it wouldn't really work with the bands. But I guess a seven map pool perpetually. And that those maps rotate perpetually. And as you say, just change, make little tweaks to those maps. It's not like you need to be baying for new maps all the time. And change, you know, tiny things like maybe just the texture on Windowsill and Mirage. So you can't just smoke it every time guaranteed from the same spot or something. Like just something which actually completely changes how you're forced to play the map because people in the same way that i said you know if you have enough time people can come up with the best strats that can also backfire to a certain extent or on certain maps you can sort of limit skill expression if you're just like okay well they basically solved the map to a certain extent right like astralis did in a couple of uh, on a couple of maps in my opinion or at least to a certain extent obviously you still have to hit the shots but yeah that's, that's what i'd like to see if both of you are kind of indicating that it's 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 a Valve problem that that you know CS:GO is in this position, why why is it that way? What obviously Valve are doing it for a reason, you know. If if you were to kind of just hypothesize why Valve has limited the kind of the, the map pools or, or you know just treated the the, the whole kind of like ecosystem in the way it is. Also, the, yeah. unfortunately, Counter Strike is a very weird game in that the casual version of Counter Strike is literally what you play as a pro. Like you play a five v five competitive team game, even though it's a bloody individual experience. So, unfortunately, I get the vibe. Like because basically, the way Valve determined, they don't tell the tournament you have to run those maps. They just make those the maps that are in the active duty, and then yes, for the major, they will determine the map cycle, and everyone just copies them basically. So the real problem to me is just it's another problem in CS:GO that Valve doesn't really interact much with esports like they interact with esl if they ask them something but they don't come in and sort of say this is how we want things to be so the main issue to me is if anyone knows in dota it's very different in dota they have people that work for valve but were from the community and there is sort of like a pipeline of information you have a sense of why they might do so you don't have any of that stuff in csgo we're all just guessing basically unfortunately fair enough uh sticking on the topic of csgo and changes around the game uh, a, a, a esports journalist named Arsini Kuzminski. I'm probably butchering that name, but I guess you guys can't help me at that because no one knows who this person is, apparently. Uh, but he has reported that after 10 years of CSGO, Valve is, is preparing to move it over uh, to the Source 2 engine. It also says that there will be some changes, like um, renaming um, the game's just going to be called Counter-Strike, and there'll be no terrorists in Counter-Terrorists. It'll just be T and CTs. Wonder um, what those stand for. Yeah, well, hey, at least the advertisers will be happy, right? And that's what that matters at the end of the day. Um, now, we don't know if this is like actually true or not. We, we don't know the actual validity behind all this. Like I say, the source is a bit, you know, not, it's, it's not like it's good old Richard Lewis reporting any of this. 
Um, but still, it's uh, it's getting some traction. It's, it's enough for us to entertain here today. Uh, what are your thoughts about this? Like, do you think this is a good idea? Do you think this is smart? Or do you think this is kind of a little bit... Uh, a little bit whack. I know you said you don't like change, Thorin, so I'll, I'll come to you first on this one. How do you feel about this change? Right, I will take... I will take some level of at-face-value belief in things people in the industry who I do trust have told me. So I have been told that if you are, especially in America, Germany, there are countries where apparently there are some sponsors that are like so out of date with what computers are that they do think like, oh my God, I can't, terrorists in the game. Apparently that is real. There apparently are some people like that. I personally have never encountered it. So I've, I was always a little bit skeptical how much that is. I think it's been a little bit oversold. And because by the way, this suggestion right now, not only did they do this in CGS, but this has been the suggestion for genuinely most of the history of Counter-Strike is people saying, well, if we just renamed it so it wasn't called terrorists, like to me, it's like, that's just one layer. Okay, it's not called terrorists anymore. I'm still blowing up a bomb in a Middle Eastern country and this voice line is saying, run, little girls, run. So we're gonna need to take out, run, little girls, run. We're gonna need to take out Middle Eastern country. To me, this is the problem, right? Either A, lean into it. It's a, it's a tactical FPS game with action elements where the theme, the aesthetic is realism. It's based on conflicts that could be taking place right now by default by definition that is going to be touching certain nerves because it's taking place in scenarios where this is going on so that's already an issue right but that's something we've lived with the whole time in counter-strike i don't think it puts off anyone realistically who's in the space of counter-strike so the bigger issue to me is like as i say does that one change, changing the name, really do anything? I mean, as you even said, they're not even changing it to offense and defense. It'd just be T and CT. So the first question is going to be, what's T, terrorist? Oh, well, there we go. We're right back in the fucking same quagmire. So to me, the premise I have is this. If you're going to do that, mate, do what Valorant did. Just go off into fantasy realm. Make it so it cannot be related to any, like, race that was ever seen, any fucking, like, type of nationality, any type of fucking political movement. Just make it some totally abstract concept in space or in dungeon or, like, Quake was, basically. Except, you know the real joke of all guys are you ready should we go back to the beginning do you know why everyone said counter-strike was better than quake because they were like how is someone gonna understand a guy is in a giant robot suit flying in space with a lightning gun everyone knows what an m4 is but then you all want to take out the fucking realism so it's like i can't handle esports people y'all fucking don't know your ass from your head and i can just tell by which ends fucking flapping there you go <laughs> Rich, what are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, from, from the sponsor angle, because that's the one that um, people like to point to immediately, makes no difference, in my opinion, other than like a couple of like super dishonest companies who are just like, yeah, I don't know what a T or a CT is. Like you pick, Picking letters that stand for the things that you want to remove from the game doesn't make any sense whatsoever. The whole idea of like, you know, oh, it's too it's too real and uh, I guess like edgy to be something that we can put money into. Like, hello, Call of Duty. Hello, any shooter ever. Hello, there's literally a game called Armor 3 where you're like American soldiers killing soldiers from other nations. Like, what are we talking about? Every shooter ever that was not based in a fantasy land or in space has dealt or alluded to like uh, real life conflicts or things like that. Level. It was an infamous level in Call of Duty where you just have to like murder a bunch of like fucking yeah. civilians in like an airport Russian or something mental. Airport, like yeah. that was real. That was like in the fucking yeah. game. And by the way, spoiler, Call of Duty had no problem selling their fucking game. Every fucker in the world bought it, didn't they? I think I, I think <laughs> that that was Modern Warfare 2 and I think that is the highest selling FPS game of all time if I'm Of not course. Mistaken. There you go. Maybe of maybe, course. Or maybe it's Black Ops 1 which literally just recreated the Cold War. I think that's it was a hot war this time, which is definitely more edgy than just having some abstract terrorists and counter-terrorists 
uh, running around without any other added context. So yeah, that, that whole thing is like completely asinine. For some reason, when it comes to like esports, it's been given, I don't know, it's, it's just been, it's more outrageous when competitive players and organizations are directly propping up the game rather than just millions of us playing it at home but not being ambassadors for it for some reason that just makes it worse so it's again it's just the classic case of it's almost like a sort of a looking glass into society like people will happily endorse things as long as their name and image isn't attached to it but as soon as it's you know you're actually your name is put to it and you have to speak to it online oh you don't roll with that anymore you, you're not down with playing games with terrorists in like fuck off like i'd like to interview all the people who wouldn't sponsor it and ask what their opinion is on playing yeah. Call of Duty in their front. Be interesting, right? Like, there's no way they're going to be consistent, yeah, yeah. right? So yeah, I think that's that's the first thing in terms of like moving over to a new engine. I think there are a couple of sort of logistical things which are obvious. One, by the way, being skins, right? Like one of the reasons why Counter Strike has you know been or maintained so much interest is is a financial one. Like lots of people have, oh. you know, whether misguided or not, thought they could make money through uh, betting skins and just trading skins. People like skins in general. The game's obviously gone freemium now as well, which means they're you know more reliant than ever on this model so yes. they will have to do something to pull all that stuff over which i'm sure is a massive nightmare even if they manage to do a good job of it it's going to be a huge logistical undertaking and secondly i'm not sure looking at the game right now what they can do sort of revolutionary to like change the game to me if you move counter-strike from one engine to another engine it's because the new engine will allow you to do something you couldn't previously do but what is the answer to that? What what are you going to do on Source 2 that is not currently serving you well enough on the current engine? Is it water effects? Is it lighting? Like, is it purely like a graphical thing? I assume they would just argue to push tech forwards and make you have to have yeah, a new graphics uh, card and PC and all that jazz. But you know. obviously, from like an esports perspective, oh, I don't think they fuck. No. Like, no, no, no one cares. And, and yeah, so, and I would be interested. I actually think Counter-Strike is a game one of the games which has the biggest overlap in fan base between their fans that are a fan of the game and their fans that have at least a mild interest in the competitive side. Oh, for I sure. There are very few games which would be able yeah. to rival it. Rocket League might be the other one. So I don't know how many reasons the fans would actually care about for why they would do this change. At some point, sure, it's inevitable. I mean, you, you put yourself at risk if like a new game like Crossfire or something, which is based on Counter-Strike, comes out and just has mad wicked graphics and they do a huge Western release, then sure, you kind of need to protect yourself against that and to be seen to be the biggest, shiniest thing on the market. But right here, right now, I cannot think of a single reason why I personally would be excited as an esports fan about moving the, the engine on. And the pre I mean, we talked about things in the previous topic that if done properly would excite me way more than moving the game across an engine. And you, you guess what? You can save millions of pounds from doing that. So yeah, that that's that's my, my general take on it. Hey, here's the point I want to make, because I'm just going to give you some food for thought. All I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a scenario and then just contrast it against this very offensive situation where a fictional character is called a terrorist. So if you were to have a tournament in CSGO, right, and you were a sponsor who wanted to be involved in esports, very good chance if you sponsored a team, your team would play in an ESL tournament. ESL has the majority of the Counter-Strike tournaments in the calendar. ESL is the number one tournament organizer. In fact, ESL themselves run off sponsorship money. They require sponsors themselves some of the biggest in the world now think about this what you're telling me is it's offensive that we would play a fictional children's video game that features concepts like terrorism and bomb 
funds, but you're fine with ESL being owned by the Saudi Public Investment Fund, while Saudi Arabia is actually bombing the country of Yemen and killing people with bombs. So you're, you find it offensive that a fictional component of terrorism and bombing could be in the game, but you're fine with the sponsoring and the game and the tournament organiser being directly involved, directly owned by people murdering people in real life. Like, if you actually can't see which one of those is more important, you might be fucked in the head and I'd stop reading the news media immediately. By the way, second point, just a good general advice anyway. But if they release a skin, you know, while they have all this oversight on the Counter-Strike scene, which, you know, placates and gives good representation to, let's say, the gay community or the trans community, all other sins are forgiven in my book, you know. Like, fuck the bombing of Yemen and all that shit. If you can just release an agent yeah. and then retcon their law to make them exactly. uh, a minority. It's just GG for all. That's the yeah. thing. It's just GG. <laughs> that's, by the way, if people don't know as an aside, that wasn't obviously even intentional. Like, the ESL people who made that initiative, I'm almost certain had no idea ESL was going to be bought out by the Saudis, right? It's just that of all... Right, remember, there's been plenty of initiatives that were about, like, you know, women in gaming, esports, but... The idea you'd pick the line, this is almost like karma just wanted them to be destroyed because they stupidly put the line in the press release. It can't be GG until it's GG for all. And then the joke now is like, well, they write themselves, don't they? Like, well, you know, you did it to yourselves on that one, boys. Indeed, I agree. It can't be GG until it's GG for all. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, Shit. Beautiful stuff. <laughs> I think this is the, I feel like there's a disconnect between the, the, like corporate side of well of corporations and the fact that they're all at the end of the day it all it's 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 just people in it it's just people running these things right you know every yeah, yeah. business is composed of people and at some point that clashes with the corporate side of things you know you see it in every single business every single industry uh and I, but i like the fact that honestly people are holding them accountable you know not just esl but other companies yeah, yeah. as well you, know, you, you bring up these double standards and and uh you know obviously the um, neon deal, which uh, I believe had a had showed its head in CSGO as well. It was the same people, yeah. Same thing, yeah. yeah. So you know, and there's always a backlash about that and, and whatnot. And um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's cool because even I, it was it was like um, Formula One was in Saudi Arabia, right? Like the most recent one or, or something like that. I don't actually really yes. follow it, so I don't know for sure. But um, you know, no one really cares about that, or at oh, least exactly. Like, that's it's also it's another thing, by the way. This is actually another key point, which is like a nuanced point that I think people should think about. This just shows also that your game is in still in the optional phase, right? That what they're really saying now is we might be able to slightly convince someone more if you do this for us, make the game, right? Here's all I'll tell you right now. Nobody has to do that for the UFC because everyone wants to be involved with the UFC because it's an enormous sport. Like, if the game gets big enough, if eSports got 10 times bigger, they wouldn't even be having these discussions. It would be the other way around. They might even be arguing, oh, you've got to protect the IP. Like, that's the key thing everyone's into. Like, it could easily spin on a fucking dime. And I've always said this, right? The moment you'll know eSports has made it is not only will there be no politicians coming out blaming games, they'll be defending it like they defend the fucking opioid industry and stuff they'll, it'll be the other way around you'll know that the money's really in the fucking industry when we've just paid off enough lobbyists that like we're getting defended on Fox News instead of the other way around that'll be the, that'll be the future in like 10 years get ready I love that I love to see like interviews in the It'd be wild in, won't in, it in door to door knocking on getting getting PM but okay but who did you vote for in the LEC spring finals <laughs> Exactly. Uh, no, I'm not voting for you, bro. <laughs> You're out. Screw that. They're a rogue fan now. That's a red flag. Fucking toys. Let's move on to uh, to talking of move, talking of the LEC Spring Finals. Um, it's the semi-finals actually coming up here uh, this weekend between Rogue 
and Fnatic last weekend. They both uh, had 3-1 wins, which were pretty much relatively comfortable. Rogue taking down Misfits and Fnatic taking down G2. Um, but this is it. This is it. This is Rogue versus Fnatic. We, we talked about the, the Rogue team a lot as well in, in previous episodes about how they really have a lot to prove this time around and, and how that is uh, lying a lot on the, on the coaching staff even, honestly, with uh, some kind of disappointing performances. They are the best team coming out of the regular season, whereas Fnatic is arguably uh, the best team like in form, like they had the better second half of the of the spring regular season. So they're coming together in that semi-finals. Who's going to take it? It's a simple question. Uh, Rich, I'll come to you first. Rogue versus Fnatic. Talk to me. I think Rogue wins. Um, I think, I mean, I just think they're the better team. I've seen you know, obviously the entirety of the regular season. And now we've seen one uh, playoff series from both teams. I actually think G2 was quite disappointing uh, in, in their series. Not necessarily from a what I expected versus reality standpoint, but that there were a couple of options, which obviously we'll talk about later, about what kind of G2 team could have showed up. And in my opinion, it was one of the lesser options from their perspective. So I don't like read too much into um that series other than what i was looking at from Fnatic, and they were fine they were they were decent but i wasn't particularly wowed by them i think my biggest takeaway from the opening rounds of of uh playoffs was actually maorang somewhat vindicating himself um i was one of the people who said that you know i felt that maorang would drop off in the second half of the regular season and he extended that even to say and you know he might get found out and picked off in playoffs um and obviously this isn't, you know, Misfits is not his harder test. He will have a harder test and this is definitely one of them. Uh, but I do think that he proved he's not just some burger flipper maniac who's just, you know, running around, putting the entirety of the game in his hands in the first few minutes of the game. I think he's basically shown that he's an aggressive player, as he always has been, at least during this season. But he can play a refined style of that aggression and he is in control. And it's not all just, you know, crazy nonsense. Um, and I also think he's shown a decent variety of play styles and picks just from a sort of mechanical standpoint. And I don't have reason to believe that he will he will individually be found out in this series, which I actually think is huge. I think the fact that this is not going to be a big jungle edge, I would guess, for Fnatic is really big. Because to me, when you look across the board, I actually think that on the cohesion side, I do think Rogue are actually just a better team than Fnatic. And I think on an individual side, which obviously certain games do just come down to individual still, even in League of Legends, I think that Rogue are the slightly better team. I favour Oddo in the top matchup. I actually favour Maorang in, in, the, uh, in the jungle matchup. I thought that both junglers in the Fnatic series actually... Uh, in the Fnatic G2 series actually weren't very good. I didn't think either of them played particularly well. People were sort of lauding uh, Razork in the latter games on in, the, in that series. But I, I, I honestly, I didn't really see it. I, I thought both junglers were not up to what I would have expected prior to the start of the season, let's say. And then the most interesting thing for me is the bottom lane, which is obviously where Fnatic have a huge edge over everyone apart from Rogue. I do think the Fnatic bot lane is better, but I think it's sufficiently close that they don't just have that massive edge where Hillisang, they're going to get the push and Hillisang's going to get to Rome and do whatever the hell he wants to do and make a billion picks a game. I don't I don't see that. I think Trimby's a very good support uh, laning support. I think that Comp has shown that he's pretty competent all-round player and I don't think they're going to get dominated. Obviously, you know, whenever I hear player opinions, especially ones that get put in interviews and posted to Reddit and so on, I take them with a huge pinch of salt. But I did think that comment from, I think it was Flacked, um, yes. about the bot lanes was kind of interesting. Again, I disagree with him. I think that the Fnatic bot lane is better. But 
that should tell you that it's there at least in the similar echelon like it's sufficiently close based on what we've seen in eye tests based on you know using results based analysis and also based on player analysis from someone who actually plays the position he thinks what well, was flex flex comment yeah so he, he just said, said something like he thought as a, like a 2v2 bot lane i think he said he thought the rogue one was actually better than fanatics yeah, yeah. and this is after he just played fanatic in obviously the playoff series i think yeah so again i do i do personally think the fanatic bot lane offers slightly more overall and principally because of of Hillisang and and his uh, flexibility but again i think it's sufficiently close and you know this this series might come down to you know who's who pick who plays better out of the two monster mid laners but i don't think it will i think this series will come down to better team cohesion with a slightly higher skill ceiling and i do think that's rogue my main problem with this whole topic is i notice almost everyone who's against rogue doesn't start with this rogue team or even their opponent. They just start with the narrative of they have choked in the past, they've done this before, therefore they'll do it again. That's about it. That's, that's as far as I can tell, it's the main argument against rogue. It's nothing to do with anything that this five-man lineup did this split. Because my problem is this, if I go the other way, if I took all the nameplates off these two teams and I just had you watch these two teams play all the regular season games in the first round of the playoffs, I think every single person would tell me that rogue was the best team and that they are the best team in LEC like I think that just bears out like again here's the thing Fnatic's won games that looked messy as fuck Rogue looks clean as fuck in almost every game they've played they might have had for real two bad games in the whole split like remember even some of the losses they had were sometimes like you know someone just did a great comeback or something like I, I think they've looked very very clean and the key thing for me is I don't think there is that much holdover from past splits like for example when everyone says Odoamne chokes right I don't think he does choke because when I've watched his career generally he is just most of his career playing a fucking weak side tank or nah that's it like he's actually not in the position to have the agency to take over the whole series most of the times he's trying to provide a tiny edge against his position and then the rest of his team his whole premises he's setting up the rest of his team to carry so in my opinion Odo was never that much of a choker I think he has had that playoff games in Rogue that looked bad but this is the key point that was in my opinion due to a byproduct of how inspired players inspired players like a ruthless solo queue jungler where when you are losing and your lane is fucked he ain't coming mate he ain't coming to fix your lane he ain't coming to help you with this gank you're done he's now going to go into a lane that can win that was how he played so if Odo had a carry champion Jace or something Kennen but then he didn't get the help early and he died in one kit that's it it's all fucking he's done he's got the wrong shot pick and he's not going to carry the game but a scoreboard someone at the end will look and go oh he was on chase he didn't even carry this kit it's like no it's the function how the team works whereas yes i would say larson choked i think larson actually was a heavy choker if you look at his playoff career even then by the way he's never choked the whole playoffs he usually has like a really bad series then actually a really good series that sort of gets your hopes back up like i notice everyone just forgets completely where he's beaten like g2 with caps and fucking mad lions with humanoid in playoff series those happened. You can't just pretend they didn't. He didn't choke every fucking one. So to me, I think Larson's the only one I'm concerned about. And actually, when I look at how he plays with Malrang, dude, I think it's fixed. For real, I think it's fixed. Like, when I see him play now, he looks like the player I wanted him to be in the past years. Because the interesting thing is, to me, the two player changes they made had a very unique effect where it's not just how those players play, it's the knock-on effect it's had on every other member. So Malrang just immediately enables Odoamne to have some carry games. You saw he had one game here where he popped off like a motherfucker. Then for Larson, now it, now he's not sort of playing like they're both just farmers on the map. It's like now he's getting ganks off all the time. And so he actually looks like a really good player 
most of the game. Like, he has a sort of a direction. And then the key for me is, like, even though to me, Comp and Hans Sammer actually just looks like a push now. They're just both really good players with a good DPS. Like, I actually think when you look at it, the effect it seems to have had on Trimby is fucking insane. Like, this guy is night and day. So here's what I'm going to say, and I don't care if people get offended or what. I actually think even player for player, Rogue is better than Fnatic. I think what people are doing is this. They're going off the names on Fnatic on paper. On paper, the names are better on Fnatic. In the server, I actually think literally every player on Rogue is an all-LEC player and should have been at least on the third team. Like, every player. It's a rare case where I do think every player played really well. So, to me, I think it's going to be an amazing matchup. But when I look at the Fnatic side of things, I've seen Fnatic look really messy. Team fighting wise, sure, they could be really good. But, like, for example, I think Razork still doesn't look like he fits their team overall. He just sort of has one good game, then one average, then he can even win games where they're invisible. So, it's like, I, I personally think the gap between... This is the key detail. Not how good they are as players. The gap between how well Malrang plays for Rogue and Razork plays for Fnatic is bigger than any positional gap for Fnatic over a Rogue player, in my opinion. I think they can match all of them. So if you think Humanoid's a god, Larson's really fucking good too. Do you think Wonder's really sick? We've got to do there. And the bot lane, you've already heard it before. Yeah, that's that's the vibe. They're sort of the sleeper bot lane, but fucking hell, they're pretty good. Look how good those two players are. So I actually just think straight up that Rogue is going to win. It's why I'm actually saying 3-1 for Rogue because I'm not taking it like some like fucking get out like oh five games really meshy anyone can win no I genuinely think Rogue will come and they will convincingly beat Fnatic in this series by the way the the thing of like um you know that people are just narrativing Rogue and saying they're gonna choke blah 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 like I do personally have some concerns not in this specific series I think they'll beat Fnatic and I think they'll make the final and then I would just worry a little bit about some some things based on a bit of historical precedent but I spoke about this before with like how players minds work when like predicting playoffs and how good other teams are or whatever and players just as much if not more than anyone go off narrative like it's insane like i i pointed out like every single g2 player and fanatic player up until like the last split whenever they're given an interview question of who do you think is going to win who's the best team they just say each other they always just say each other and people just go off who that who's had a success individual success against them in the past or who they've had individual success I'm against. So to your point, even in those splits where, you know, sometimes Fnatic would like sneak in in last place, they would even say yes, then, like, oh, they would yes. always pick Fnatic. Well, Fnatic could still win. Yeah, you're and, right. They would always G2, pick the other team. When, when G2 were like super weak, like objectively just way weaker than they were in the past, people were still just saying G2, like, oh, I think G2. And I think there's a touch of this as well with the, um, the, the, the choking thing, or especially, by the way, the easy play style, easy play style to read and exploit thing. Like, oh yeah, Rogue are good, but I know the way they play and we're going to beat the... I think a large part oh, of that this... even applies to the Malran team, yes, doesn't it? Exactly. The the, team. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're right. Inspired does the same fucking thing every game. He's one of the most exploitable yeah. players in the world, even though he's also one of the best Western players. That's purely because he does his singular style yes. very well. But guess what? When you're a one-dimensional player, you are very exploitable by just, guess what? Doing that counter style or one of a myriad of counter styles. So I think they're just being sort of lazy in their own narratives where they're like, ah, yeah, Rogue, we've seen this before. And they're making the connection in their head of rogue good regular season don't do so well playoffs i'm just going to repeat that i'm just going to say it in the interview but what actually happened in my opinion is inspired over a five game series is not nearly as good if he refuses to adjust his play style or perhaps can't adjust his play style whereas even if you say that maorang's only shown like oh he's only playing aggressive he doesn't play farming there 
that's way harder to deal with if the person continues to be aggressive than the guy who's passive who continues to be passive because he gives you windows and windows and windows of opportunity to adapt of oh it's inspired and he's playing passive again okay i'm gonna try this or do this if a guy's jumping on your fucking dick in mid lane every two seconds you don't get to think you don't get to breathe it's not like mm, let me construct this uh counter oh he's on my face again and i'm dead again like it's completely different so yeah i i think that players fall for their own narratives all the fucking time and i would love to see if someone would make a chart obviously don't actually do this a fucking waste of time but if someone could <laughs> pit a chart of like what players said were the strongest teams and players going into playoffs and you actually correlate that with the results of playoffs it would be horrendous mate they'd be all oh, over the absolutely place. it's just g2 and For fanatic sure. won every single split when yes. mad won the last two like no one was saying mad no one went into last split even saying like mad they, they or if they did it was always with the caveat of oh that g2 though it's like what the fuck are g2 gonna do they were useless last split nothing's changed they're not gonna do anything are they but people are so it's like they're shell-shocked they just remember the grenade landing next to them and when they see the g2 logo they just get flashbacks like it's really that simple in my opinion so yeah i don't know so both of you fancy Rogue for this match? Yeah, yeah. Is there anything else? Yeah, I, I actually would like to know what you think about this Fox show as someone who has been broadcast on LAC. One thing that does actually make me mild, mate, is I don't know if you've noticed, just think about how I talk about teams. I always talk about five-man lineups. I never talk about orgs. I never say, like, well, the G2 org always plays. I never do. Like, that is a go-to approach that people in esports do in general. They do it about T1. Dude, I've heard them talk about T1 and about how they've got, like, championship spirit. And, and I looked, and the only fakers on the team from any of the Worlds win like to me that's like what are you talking like that it's almost like like this is a real thing from sports i wonder if this is where they took it you know in british football we have the most silly version of this which is when in the fa cup someone plays someone that isn't in their division they go and this of course um spurs are holding a 10 to 1 record over dagenham and Vauxhall. they've played and the last match was in 1970 it's like no then so not a single person in the fucking game is playing out why am i hearing about this because they still do that to this day like they still take like Mate, Fnatic and G2 will have to be last place before they let that fucking narrative go that these are like the old kings and that they should be back on top. Like, they're never going to let that narrative go, mate. So I've just noticed everyone else seems the opposite to me on broadcast. They seem to want to, like, take the narrative and, keep, and as long as only one or two players change, they keep drawing the teams between years and years. What do you think of that? I just wonder what you thought. You can have a different perspective to me. Wait, one, yeah, one, no, one I... second. One second, mate. I... Yeah, we good. All right, yeah, yeah, we're good, we're good. Cool. So, yeah, I... I do think the LEC is very narrative-driven as a whole, as a product, but I think that's kind of just League of Legends as well. Um, but, like, at the same time, like, I just think, what are you going to talk about? You know, like, it's always going to be like that. You're always going to reference back to, like, uh, you know, previous results and previous splits and stuff like that and the organizations, especially now that you're in franchise, right? Now that you've got the same teams, the same 10 teams who are always oh. going to be in every single split, unless obviously a team drops out for whatever reason, then you get like, you know, BDS coming in in place of Schalke and stuff like that. Like, I, I really think that's kind of like the whole goal of of just storytelling in general in the LEC is like, it is like to organize like even even coaches and orgs do this they're like yeah we're we're rebuilding roster we you know this is a long-term plan like over like two or three years and it's like that works when you're talking about you know like like your nfl teams your nhl teams your nba teams when, when there's a draft and yeah, when you yeah. finish last place you get the, the 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 biggest dick player coming through from 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 the next year and then sure you know you can 
you can uh, manipulate, like, you can trade your, your old fogies for, like, draft assets and stuff like that. And, yeah, you can. You can go for rebuilds and you can do that. But that just doesn't happen in, in esports at all. There isn't really a thing as such as a draft. NA tried it with LCS with, like, Proving Grounds and stuff like that. It, it's just, you know, the, the rosters are changing all the time. It's like a revolving door of like you know job retention in in esports is like crazy low. Like your average, oh, you, for sure. you'll be given like a split or maybe even half a split. And if you're not performing that well, remember just check a lad on XL man, or even Advian from this split. Like he was. They even got rid bad. of perks after one year in Cloud Nine. They had him for like a bloody three year deal yeah. or something, didn't they? Like yeah, yeah. even Literally. perks. Yeah, and it's just like I just I don't know. It's just crazy. It's just it's all knee jerk. It's, it, it it just feels like. It feels like we're in some kind of like hunger games, but for, for, for investors, you know, who are just like, they're like, oh yeah, this is the hot shit. Let's pour all my money into this. And then they're looking into it and they don't understand what's going on. Like, oh my goodness, why is, why is the team that I put all my millions into like one and 10 right now? You got you to gotta change, you got to do the, you know, and, and then it's just like, it's just like a playground for, for all these investors trying to make money out of esports. I just, I just, I just, it just seems kind of peculiar. I realize I've kind of gone off a little bit right. on tangent here for, right. <laughs> for what you, what, one last, you are, one last but... point on that. Cause I think, I mean, I think it's a really good point in general. I mean, you could even argue that G2 messed up by all inning on someone who they thought was like, you know, really legit or whatever in caps. They extended him for as long as they were allowed to extend him for, we're going to build around this guy. But this is where I kind of had props for Rogue and Rogue got slated. And this is something where I, I would say, you kind of have to go on a results-based analysis. Like, there's not really another way of doing it. But Rogue, selling Inspired and Hands and bringing in these guys, look like geniuses now. Oh, and when, if, again, if you look at G2... Oh, look terrible. Yeah, they built around uh, Caps and Yankos. And I think Yankos has been fine. I mean, as he was on all of our uh, top LEC list, I think, for the regular season. But Caps just hasn't been Caps. And obviously, we'll talk about that in a second. And you presumably paid a hell of a lot of money, money to extend him off the back of one year, which wasn't, you know, maybe his best year. And that's how quickly things can turn in esports. As you guys said, like in traditional sports, like draft systems, whatever, when someone is like maturing physically and moving towards their apex, you can kind of, barring injury, better project, you know, what that's going to look like and how long their peak's going to be. Because there's no actual, everyone is limited by the same constraints in the server. Caps doesn't continue to get faster, bigger, stronger. Like, it's not a thing, right? Like, he's he's limited by patches and meta changes and everything else. So, yeah, I mean, to me, if I was in it and I purely cared about, you know, a business, but even an amalgam of business and success, I'm getting really hot shit players, getting them under long-term contracts, and then I'm fucking selling them if I think I have good mm -hmm. people to bring in. Absolutely. If I don't, okay, no, I, I want to win. So I'm going to keep my really good players. But you never know when these guys are going to drop off a cliff. Like, you just don't know. I think that's interesting, like, the way we're analysing esports, the way that the average esports fan analyses, like, success of an organisation is, is, you know, who, who wins, loses the off-season, it's, it's, it's from a talent perspective. Whereas, you know, the organisations, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> They're just like, well, how much money do you make out of this buyout? Inspired being a great example, you know, the fact that oh, for sure. after three years, he's not going anywhere. And then he's off to NA, like, a few months later. You know, like that. As far as Rogue's concerned, Rogue, Rogue are just fucking. They're they're just. It's it's the miracle year for Rogue. Yeah, for like sure. They sold off their two great best players for for. I don't obviously. I don't know how much, but my they must have made absolute bank. It was a king's that. ransom. Yeah, right. Exactly. So think about this. Imagine if we're actually right and Rogue does come through, and they're now not chokers. 
the joke is like by actually being made to sell their best players, yeah. the rest of the scene accidentally upgraded them. Whereas the premise is, if, if the analogy would be like this happened in Counter Strike, Astralis didn't actually want to sign Magus as the fifth player. They wanted to just sign Kirby, who was their existing player, but he left on the day they were going to sign him. So the joke is they wouldn't have chosen the lineup that went on to be the best ever in CS:GO. They were made to do it by someone leaving. Actually, so I just think it, it would also, by the way, be kind of mad for GMs because it's like then. How, do you, how are you supposed to make a proper team? Because yeah. we didn't even pick those players, sort of, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. It's interesting shit, honestly. Like, I, I, find, I find the whole... There's, it's just two different worlds, you know? What we, what we witness as yeah, spectators yeah. and fans of esports and, like, the business side of things, and I do think that esports as it is now is pretty, pretty skewed towards the business side of things. But I, no matter how you splice it, man, Rogue are just fucking... They're loving it. They sell, 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 sell high and still the best team in LEC. Like, that's brilliant stuff. Absolutely brilliant. Um, I do wonder, honestly, because this is coming back to your point, Thorne, about narrative. At what point do we start talking about Rogue in the likes of Fnatic and G2? Like, sure, they've never, they've, they've never even won anything, right? So that, that's fair enough. But, like, these guys started out really crap because whatever, they had rookies and all that stuff. Like, the first time LEC got, uh, became a franchise league. But since then, they've just been hot shit, really, haven't they? Like, I think they've I think, been very consistent, I, yeah, especially. Yeah, but this I do think, actually, the narrative is busted on that because what people are doing is they take the end of the story and they write the story based on that. Whereas yeah. the actual story of Rogue, like you say, if you want to go from the Org side, here's the story of Rogue, right? Rogue and Mad Lions are the only orgs that actually compare with G2 and Fnatic. So instead of making it like, we've still got G2, but no, the premise now is you've got four orgs. But what's cool is two of them are the old kings who get all the players and have all the money. Two of them have to do these really shrewd coaching moves and scouting moves and keep re-upping, but they're doing it. Oh, not, not Mad Lions at the moment, but they did previously for two years. And in doing so, I actually think, right, people now give Mad Lions their credit because they won those titles. I'm with you though, Foxtrot. Think about it, right? Rogue's had four splits in a row where they won the most games. There was one split where someone tied with them. It was G2. They still won the most overall. It was just a tie. And then even when they, you know when everyone says they just choke, they've never finished below third. That's the worst they've ever finished in these four splits. By the way, if you're third all the time and you win the most games, the narrative should be, actually, you're only just below G2 and Fnatic. That's it. Like, people make it sound like, you know, ah, they're just a playoff team. They're not bloody XL. Like, they actually, I do think, actually, essentially, what they've done is being under, downplayed. Because, yeah, it's true. The most important thing at the end is lift the trophy. That's the one thing they don't do. But I think, essentially, yeah, people haven't really given them sort of their due. They deserve more credit. I'm just going to say, one game from, just uh, to the Oak, by the way. I yeah. think yeah. They, they are quite reminiscent of a certain... LCS team. H2K that always used to go semi-finals yeah, maybe always top three I think so if you... good players all LEC players you know yeah. but couldn't quite get over the hump maybe in game fives you well, know I think we actually had the most <laughs> wins as well of any team in regular season like, over those over those years but then yeah just uh if you averaged it out, if people don't know, during the period when Fnatic was the best, H2K was like third best. Then you go to the period when G2 was the best, H2K was like second or third. But yeah, it's true. It's, it's actually a similar sort of vibe with the teams. It's, well, it's funny, Yodo, I'm no players for both, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, well, let's move on to our... Cursed career, bloody hell, mate. All because right. that fucking guy stopped him, that fake joining of G2. That really did just like that one moment fucking Thanos this guy's career. It's actually true. It put him in exile for like two seasons. You had to rebuild it from scratch. It's ridiculous. 
Wait, what's this story? I feel like I'm missing. You know what? You remember years ago when that he was going to leave H2K, but the yes. the rumor was reported by one of those like leaker accounts that he'd already he was going to join G2. So no other team contacted. Oh, do I'm there? Oh, I do. Oh, okay. so yeah, no yeah. other team bothered contacted him because they just assumed he was in G2. Yeah. Fair play. It's pretty wild, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, esports is brilliant. Uh, let's speaking of G2. Let's move on to our next uh, semi-final matchup here. G2 beating out uh, XL in a pretty close. Uh, Best of five, honestly, like five games. Vitality. Vitality, yeah. You said G2. Sorry, you sorry, Vitality, yeah, yeah. Vitality yeah. being out XL in the close best of five. Yep, sorry about that. And, and G2 obviously falling to, to Fnatic, as um, as we mentioned before. Um, G2 versus Vitality as our next uh, as our next semifinals. Um, this is this going to be interesting because I've, you know, Vitality, from my perspective here, have the highest ceiling. Um, or like biggest dark horse, I guess, if you can even say that. It's a super team that should really, you know, anything outside of top two probably is not good enough. Um, you know, if if they can really get over the hump, they they have a high chance of of, of really taking it to like a really really deep run in the playoffs. Um, but G two is 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 no slouch for that. And uh, I was not convinced by Vitality in that XL matchup. Um, I came out of that thinking whoever's winning this is not <laughs> this will be the last game that you win. <laughs> you know, like I wasn't too convinced either XL or Vitality whoever would win that game five. Um, that's my opinion. Not too high on that as a squad. I think G2 is going to be taking this one. But what do you think? G2 versus Vitality. Whoever's, uh, wh whoever wins this plays the loser of Fnatic Rogue, if I'm not mistaken. No, no, they play um, Misfits next. No, no, do no. They? Misfits are out. Misfits, they're out, I think. What the fuck are you talking about? They're in the lower bracket in the next match. It works on seeding. The one that's the highest seed drops Wait. to a further round ahead. I'm 100% right. This is the same format okay. as last split. So... So this match will play at misfits, misfits, and then the winner of that game will play the loser of Rogue and Fnatic. Okay, bang it. Okay. Either way, don't even know why I mentioned that stuff. All right. the yeah. We're talking about yeah. this stuff here. Yeah, GC Vitality. Um, yeah, tell me what are your thoughts. Thorin, coming to you first. Well then, right here's the problem I have: is it's gonna this whole segment is gonna sound like I'm a massive G2 hater, unfortunately, because here's mm -hmm. the issue I have. I actually think of all the other teams that were. I mean, technically, Misfits it was even above G2 in the split by winning one extra game. I think G2 could be every single playoff team. That isn't Frog and Fnatic, except Vitality. That's the problem I have, basically. I think if they played Misfits, they would win. I think if they played XL, they would win. Here's the reason why. Because the one thing Vitality has, it's the whole reason anyone's even talking about them or predicting they can do things, is player strength. Like, no matter what you say, yes, they might not have any cohesion. They look at the jungle and fucking support have never met each other. Like, as far as I can tell, they're fucking... Like, they don't really seem like they have one leader and one plan and one cohesive identity. But I'll tell you what, you look at the raw rosters on paper and then you look at the roster of G2s, it actually does look like that in the server. Like, my problem is this, G2's not an oppressive team. They don't dominate anyone. If they win, they win by a little margin. If they win, they win because a player played 10% better. Caps isn't the explosive player people think of him as. He doesn't take over games. So what you end up with in their team is Broken Blade gets a tiny edge in top lane. He's one of the only top laners that they even fucking played through in LEC. Jankos is a really good supportive jungler, but he's not in sort of pop-off mode this year and or the last couple of years, really. Caps plays like, not like a pure mage support because he obviously doesn't play all the champions that are majors, but he plays like a mage mid laner at this point in time, not a pop-off either. And the problem is, 
Like Flacken, essentially, his job is to be like a shit version of Prey and go even or just don't lose by too much. So I, my struggle is this. I don't have to think anything's good about Vitality except their players. And since that's the one thing I think is good, I actually just think raw player strength means it's really hard for G2 to have edges in this series. Like, I don't know how they, I don't know which lane they went through. I don't know which player they go to. I don't even know. Like, what dangerous pick do they have on a player that you can't let that get through? I don't think there is one. So uh, believe it or not, even though I don't think Vitality is a good team, I think they have got into a position where this is the perfect team they could play out of the top four. I think they actually have a real good chance to win this. And since the games from Vitality are so messy, my assumption is even this series will be really, really messy as well. I, I expect there'll just be tons of like broken skirmishes, fights around dragons, herald, just mid-game team fights that like, you know, it's a three versus four, then one guy dies and then do they continue the fight while someone backs? Like, I expect it to be a kind of like a shit show like some of the Vitality XL games were and I think Vitality will just inexplicably come out on top due to having slightly better players. Even though, like, if you're talking about pure construction, I think G2's actually got a more coherent team. Like, they seem like they actually have an identity. You just don't think it's that great, unfortunately. You think it'll be a close, close series though, like five games and talking. Yeah, I would take it, even even if it was four, I would expect it to be like nightmare games where no one's like lead. Yeah. It's not going to be like I win the whole game and then you win the whole. I would expect it to be all over the place because I don't think G two can build leads. I don't think Vitality ever bloody has a lead, do they? Like, <laughs> looks pretty bad to me. I expect this will be a nightmare game. <laughs> what about you, Rich? What are you thinking about this series? Yeah, I was like super torn on this because. The problem with G2, as Soren said, is I couldn't really think of like obvious win conditions. So me playing the part of the G2 advocator here, I'm just going to say there's no way that their drafts are going to be as bad as they were in the Fnatic series. There's no way. And I do think that is worth... It's quite hard to draft against Fnatic as well, to be fair, if you think of their team. Yeah, sure. But I mean, if, especially if you go and look at the draft from game one, I mean, it doesn't matter who you're drafting against. Like that, that was a disgrace. That was like a horrible offense, in my opinion. Like that was horrible. But having said that, yeah, I don't see like many obvious win conditions on their team. The problem is, and this is obviously something that we um, sort of saw on Twitter, is the reaction to Caps and his performance in that series basically sums up G2 and where they are. And, you know, people, you know, not even going in, but being like, we, we, you know, you said, where's Caps? And people saying, what do you mean? Like, he, he played good. You know, he played fine. He, he's decent. It's like, the problem is this team's never going to do anything, are they? Unless he's like the fucking best player by a mile. Like, there's yes. just not enough good pieces on this team with these players at the points in their careers that they're at where you can hope to win anything unless Caps is 2019 Apex Caps and I'm going to guarantee to win my lane, and I'm going to run around and cause absolute havoc. And, you know, people can say, oh, you can't just look at it so singularly. Yeah, sure, he played Karma, but he played a really good Karma. He did. His Karma was legit as fuck. I don't need Caps to play Karma. That's my problem. Like, I, given, like, in any given game, even the best player will have to, you know, give away a, a bit for the betterment of the team. Sure, I get that. And in that game, sure. But it did also kind of sum up where G2R and where Caps is currently. You could argue that he is not a top four mid laner in LEC. You'd probably be favoured to win that argument, I would suggest, if you tried to make that argument. So now we're looking at the other lanes. As you say, Broken Blade, good top laner. For my money, in terms of performance and consistency, the second best top laner during the split. But is he better than Alfari? No, I don't think so. And I don't think he's going to be able to get heavy edges over Alfari, particularly because the edges that top laners get tend to be during the laning phase. So I don't see that really... It's in that sense, right? Yeah, I, d I don't see that happening at all. The bot lane, it's like, to be honest, 
in terms of performance or like recency performance, I think neither bot lanes cover themselves in glory, let's say. Um, I do think the supports on both teams are good. I know Labrov has not had a good split by any stretch of the imagination, but me personally, and, you know, I've always been low on Kazi and I'm lower on Kazi than I, I've ever been. I First of all, Vitality never plays a bot. And secondly, Kazi is absolute garbage, in my opinion. Yeah, these I are mean, just two topside teams as well, yeah. which is quite weird for the region if you think about so, it. So bot lane, like, who knows? But I, I don't know. I just assume self-made's going to do more than Yankos, if I'm honest, again, just based on recency. So the top side of self-made, I've got self-made, I've got perks, and I've got Alfari. And in the same way that I give Maorang edges over Razok from a playstyle perspective, apart from anything else, I think when you have those three players, and if they're all willing to take turns playing aggressive, I think that works better than the supportive jungler in Yankos, than the solid but not exceptional laner in Broken Blade. I, and then, you know, the supportive or the 2022 version of what we know Caps to be now. I think that their play style just favours them. And I agree with you that I think it's going to be messy. I think neither of these teams... One thing I do disagree with, I don't even think that G2 has a particularly defined style. I think there were games where they kind of showed themselves to be like fanatic light in terms of that they did have quite a lot of initiative, especially around creating dives early and so on. But I didn't even see that like at all in the Fnatic series. I get I get that they're a hard team to play against, but I saw nothing. Like the only game they won was when they defaulted back to this borderline cheesy style of like the Karma mid. So... Yeah, I just think Vitality are just better. I think this will look like a solo queue best of five. I think both teams are kind of solo queue teams and they just have the better players. And I don't know what the score is going to be. Like, honestly, I wouldn't... No scoreline would surprise me. Like, literally no scoreline would surprise me. Vitality are not good enough as a team for me to even guarantee they'll get a game. G2 are not good enough as a team to guarantee they'll get a game, but they're sufficiently close to each other that any variable of 0, 3, 1, 3, 2, 3, whatever I could believe. So a really hard one to pick. Like this is actually the hardest game I've looked at and thought, okay, I have to pick who I think is going to win. This has been like really difficult, but I, I would go with Vitality for those reasons. I even think if you look at the two teams, knowing what you now know about how they play, dude, they should just trade junglers doesn't even make sense like the joke is if Yankos played on Vitality that top side would be fucking incredible I'm telling you right now and if Selfmade played on G2 there'd at least be a win condition for fuck's sake at least you could have him pop off every now and then because the problem like Rich is saying there here's another way to phrase it is if Caps is playing Karma then where the fuck is the damage source who, who, who's doing it Flacked. like it can't only be Broken Blade they don't even have champions like that in the game anymore like there are like what's the fucking 1v9 top lane champion some shit like Jace which even needs to help your jungler to even be ahead in the game like fucking hell mate like that's what people don't get it's like they haven't thought it through you could play Karma if you're like Faker and you've got fucking Gumayushi like yeah then you could do it like you don't have you've got fucking Flacked. So the problem with G2 is they've painted themselves in a corner. They essentially, like, I know people now are going to pretend this wasn't the case. This squad was clearly made with the premise, Caps will be the absolute best player so we can afford these other players. Like, we can do the rest of this. We can get cute with the bot lane. We can bring in Broker Blader. We can keep Yanko. You can do all these things. But the problem is the first the first assumption has fallen apart. Who wins the trade if they trade Flax for Kazi? Who wins that trade? Well, here's the problem. Interestingly enough, I just did my show where I had Mac from Mad Lions as the guest on on my show I do with Dom. And I, this is the thing that I've always heard. I'm sure you heard similar things. He he raves about Kazi because he thinks that Kazi has like, you know, like a really, like like apparently in, in team fights, he's amazing at like calling out the targets and shit and micro and people and telling them stuff. So the thing is, I can believe that. The problem is I'm with you though. It's like, it's a bit, oh, here's the perfect example. It's a bit like back in the day when mutual <laughs> friend veteran used to go on and on about Cadrill being a sick jungler, right? I always 
just used to tell him, oh, I know why you say it. Like, if I talk to Kim, he's really smart. He has really good game plans. But if I just watch on the server and I didn't know what you've just told me, I'd never say he's the best jungler, would I? Like, you've gone too far on that. So, to me, it's the same thing with Kazi, dude. It's like, I can buy all that stuff. Maybe he does add all these things. But how does that help me when he's tilting his tits off and just in, in the middle of a fight? Like, if he's dead, I don't care how good his calls are. He's fucking dead. And he's the ADC, for God's sake. The role is the... It's the remember, the reason Reckless is one of all those MVPs. It's the number one role to not die. That's the number one job is don't die. Believe it or not, I know people go, no, it's do damage. No, no, it's don't die, then do as much damage as you can. That's the order. That's the fucking order for ADC. It's, re it's really weird that a veteran would think that because veteran literally worked with basically the apex version of what Cadrill could be, which is Yankos. I mean, Cadrill, because, you know, obviously uh, as fans and outsiders, you don't get to hear the comms or just a little shit in mic check or whatever. Cadrill's comms were great. Really good. Super That's why it was obvious he'd be a good analyst. Yeah, you know? super assertive, very detailed, like made a plan, set it up, could micromanage other people while playing his own game, but wasn't good enough at the role in its fundamentals to play it. And I don't blame him for that. He fucking picked yes. up the role like how yeah, many years into his career. So exactly. the, the fact yes. that he was able to be like somewhat yes. passable was fucking impressive. But the apex of what that is, is Yankos. Yankos is the king of comms in the West. Like this guy's comms are godlike. So yeah, I find that a bit surprising, but um, yeah. It's because you know, mate, the problem with all the analysts is this. When they do their order of the most important things, they all have a weird blind spot, whereas if they think there's a really nuanced thing, so anyone who's ever heard Kelsey Mosey will know this one, if they just have really good back timings, that mid laner goes like psh, to the top of the list, even if like their lane is not that good, they don't carry the team fight. Because to her, I agree, that's such a rare quality that people actually have it that are good, that to them, they, unfortunately, they overvalue that quality. Same with junglers, like I'm sure the jungler they think is the best one is the one that just comes and fixes your lane so that then you can play the game again because if you're a coach that is what you'd want the problem is this sometimes I might just want an idiot like Salford who doesn't know what the fuck he's doing he's tilting his tits off and he just runs in on Olaf and throws axes in people's faces sometimes the game is that simple you know <laughs> not everything has to be a sort of curling David Beckham top corner shot from a free kick sometimes you can just have Ian Rush fucking knee it into the goal it's just a goal all the goals count there's League of Legends for you that is my that is my biggest pet peeve with League of Legends analysis is all this painting of things about how everything's perfect. Yes. Everything's it's perfect. all just cute shit, yeah. <laughs> it just never fucking is, man. It never is. And my biggest thing is like either in draft or or after the first Game's like, lost. five minutes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Game's over. Just yeah, over yeah. watching Game's over now. It's like, shut yeah, yeah. up. Like, obviously, it's not over. Like, just... Yeah, I, I hope it goes without saying. None of these people we're referencing are like idiots or wrong. They just this no. is just what I think is like a blind spot. Everyone has blind spots, by the way. Some would say maybe mine are like Danish mid laners that play a fucking mage style. But I'm not even a fan of Bjergsen. Whatever you say, I did there. That's just called skill. <laughs> Keep going. All right, and uh, we'll move on. I feel this is good. Actually, this is good. They thought I was going to so... say frogging. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good segue to, uh, to our next topic what we want to talk about, about how League of Legends isn't always the perfect crafted game um, and how sometimes you just got to get dirty and roll around in the mud a little bit. Of course, it's scrim culture and scrims in general. Uh, everyone, well, you've probably heard stories about how scrims are essentially players just limit testing, just running it down, just like, you know, 10 kills in five minutes type thing. Um, 
Uh, but what I want to talk about today with scrims is about how the results in scrims very rarely translate to results on stage, at least as far as the reports from, from players and coaches and whatever. The, the, the whole, the general gist of it is if you do well in scrims, you'll be crap on stage and vice versa. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about this, about how scrims, you know, kind of the impact of scrims and why this is. Obviously, this isn't just limited to League of Legends. Um, Perks has been saying, though, that um, if Fnatic win this split, it will be, he says, be the weakest EU has ever been. Basically implying that Fnatic are not a great team behind the stage or behind the scenes and, and just perform on stage. And even Selfmade was interviewed and said something like... Um, uh, I've been in the LEC for three years, and from my previous experience, if you do well in scrims, it means you'll do bad in official games, and this also goes the other way around. Doesn't surprise me a player like Selfmade, who's uh, <laughs> kind of maybe had struggles on stage, would have good scrim performances. If I had to pick a scrim team, he would be my first jungler that I would pick, hands down. Anyway, question I want to ask you guys, I want to get you to talk about um is is scrims in general what, what about scrim culture what is it that makes these you know you're meant to be preparing for the stage why is the results from the scrims so different to what we see on stage and why is it so much that you know the best scrim teams are often you know they're not the teams that we see lifting up the title at the end of the split in, in whatever esport it is I'll, I'll come to you first on this one Dorian. what are your thoughts on scrims and scrim culture Right. The problem is there's a lot of factors that aren't necessarily about the scrim. Like, I'll give you an example. One of the reasons why it's no surprise Southmade said that is because he was on Fnatic in the, well, ever. If anyone knows, Fnatic's one of the most notorious orgs for their teams being inexplicably shit in scrims. Now, listen, in the modern day, that's in part because of someone called Hillisang, who plays like he does on stage, but even worse in scrims and just goes for everything. So already he's like one man ruining scrims. But the problem is because he's the best in the world at doing what he does, you can't really like pause the scrim and go, why is Hillisang going in? It's like, at that point, there's no point playing Fnatic, is there? Like, you know what you're getting when you play Fnatic. So I'll also say another factor, in my opinion, is notice the teams that are always notorious is like this. It's where someone's way too good in LEC, but then in scrims, you're not getting anything when you scrim them. So it's nearly always Fnatic and G2. Well, what's the main thing they have in common? They have all the star players, typically. If you have people who've been champions and they've been at Worlds and Worlds Finals, they don't give 100% in the BO1 of Week 2. They don't. They don't even really try 100% in the first round of the playoffs if they're the first seed and they're playing the fourth seed. They kind of, like, wait until the game and circumstances make them care and start playing properly and disciplined and so on. So, unfortunately for me, a lot of it's, like, this is how, like, superstar players avoid burnout. They sort of just mail in a few screams and a few things. And especially, you remember, like, a, a player that's supposedly like this as well as Humanoid. Well, yeah, if you're someone where people not only think you are the best at your role, but you're, like, some giga genius who the whole team has, to operate around you aren't really an option to be benched at that point mate you can kind of fuck around all you like and as long as you keep lifting those championships at the end they'll forgive you it's fine there's no problem so basically there's no like Korean culture where you know it's your duty to practice hard or it's important or you're respecting your that basically doesn't exist as far as I can tell like people actually are cool with losing all the scrims but winning the LEC games they'll just find a way to mentally resolve it even though I personally think it's whack and I think some of it does come down to also the philosophy of what a scrim is in the modern day, I still think, even after they've finished talking to the coach, they've finished all the review, the second they boot in the game, most of these idiots, still for their ego, want to smash lane, beat the other guy, kill him, win the scrim. They're still trying to essentially win a scrim. So the problem they have goes like this. Because everyone plays with no pressure in scrims, because by definition there is none, and you can just go free, you essentially are practicing a really bad style because it, you won't be able to do it on stage. Like, all I'll say is this. 
right? Supposedly, over the last few years, if you ever ask people, apparently Rogue is the one that just plays the closest to how they play on stage. I don't think it's a coincidence they've been the most consistent and clean team overall in LEC games. But the downside they have is, I'm sure they get to the playoffs and think, this will work against this Fnatic lineup. And then what they don't know is they've never played Fnatic because Fnatic was just fucking around and now it's the playoffs. So Humanoid's like, right, time to actually play and takes off the fucking, like, Rock Lee weights or some shit, doesn't he? So I think some of that's what it all comes down to. And then the last thing I'll say is this. I also think people, even when they don't, even when it's not that they're just playing to win the scrim, they also do think that the result is very important to the scrim. Whereas in my opinion, scrim is practice, therefore you are practicing something. As long as you are practicing something, I don't think it's that necessarily that you win the scrim at the end. Like, for example, I could be practicing a 2v2 bot lane, I don't run, and I just want to see how it does in the first 15 minutes. How does it do until, like, a tower goes down? So... If I do that, it doesn't really matter if after that I don't know what I'm doing in a team fight and we lose. Like, that's not really a reason not to practice that again, not to pick those chat. You know what I mean? So, on the other side, if the other team doesn't know I'm doing that, because I'm not going to tell them what I'm doing in most cases, they're just going to be like, wow, this team is really griefing scrims. They were shit after 10 minutes. Like, that's part of the problem as well, in my opinion. Is, remember, these players telling you what scrims are like, most cases don't actually know what the other team was trying to do in that scrim. They might not even know that maybe, if you're fanatic, I'm sure there's some, like, mid-table team where they don't even bother playing the real comps. They're just like, right, run a comp that we can barely run. See if it'll work. If it'll get past these guys, maybe we run it in a game in the playoffs. Like, you see what I mean? To me, it's a topic where, like, it's it's an almost endless rabbit hole. There's a million reasons why, but I think those are, like, the broad ones I'd pick. Rich, you, you have a background in, you know, being owning owning esports org, so you, you, you know what it's like to, have, to, to be there with the scrims. Do you have a, any kind of, like, unique insight in this with what was it like when, yeah, you, I mean, when you were with hk i've literally seen hundreds and hundreds of scrims and every possible variant and attitude towards a scrim with different players who have good attitudes in scrims bad attitudes in scrims weird attitude in scrims or whatever and a lot of the things that thorin said is accurate what i would add to that as well is a couple of things to extrapolate on the points you already made and then go into like a broader base point the thing about like players who have ego and they want to you know the, some scrims, and I would, I would honestly say probably about 20% of scrims that I've seen are a complete write-off after five minutes. Like, just ridiculous. Either something happens in the bot lane where it's a dive and three people die and the other team just wants to FF or restart or whatever. Or, and this happened, I won't name who the mid laners are, but certain mid laners especially, or solo laners who have egos, will just try and 1v1 the guy. Like, even the matchups they're familiar with, they just, like, go completely mute, don't say anything, and they just enter into this, like, duel of fates from Star Wars or something, because that's what they want to do, because a lot of players are fucking immature. So those are the sort of the anomalies that you have to chuck out straight away. In terms of what players have been saying recently... One thing to notice is whenever players talk about this, it's always players who are at least on semi-decent teams. The reason why that's relevant is because this stuff of, oh, if you're good on stage, you're bad. That, they're not including the bad teams in this, by the yes. way. They're not yes. at all. You can cut off those guys like they're the fat on a bad piece of steak. You just cut them off at the bottom and they're not part of this. Because those teams generally will try and play it like a decent level most of the time you know that their ability to book follow-up scrims is at stake it's kind of like yes. when the west plays eastern teams if you don't at least try in the first set of scrims they're not booking you again they pr probably resent the fact that they have to play you in the first place and it's the same with the lec teams so all of these teams when they say they're bad in scrims or these people are never good in scrims on stage or whatever they're only talking about the top half of the league it doesn't apply to the other teams um 
And the most important thing to understand when you're dealing with scrims is that when you're scrimming, you're either playing to win or scrimming to win or you're playing to learn. And most of the time or a lot of the time it's playing to learn because, and as Florin said, the other team don't necessarily know which of those they're leaning towards and to what extent or to what part of the process they're in. For example, let's say it's lane swap change meta or it's funnel meta, right? Like we're practicing funnel. I'm playing Lee Sin and Bra uh, not Lee Sin, Master Yi and Braum. You don't know if that's the first game I've played of that or I've actually practiced it all week against another team. So now I'm at the point where it's like, okay, now I'm going to play this scrim purely to try and win. You have absolutely no idea unless I told you, which is not in my interest to do. So you get all these scrim blocks. It happens all the time. I represent players who like play against each other in scrims all the time. And I'll say, how are scrims today? Knowing for a fact that they lost 5-0 to this other team who I've already talked to him. And he's like, ha, these guys are fucking terrible, blah, blah, blah. And then this guy's like, yeah, we were trying that fucking Yumi top shit and it just doesn't work. I was like, what, every game? Yeah, every game. We just tried it every game just to see because, you know, we saw these guys are playing it and it looks sick, but nah, it's really bad. And this other guy's laughing like these guys are mega overrated and no one has a clue. Just watch they'll go 0-2 this week. And guess what? They went 2-0. So a lot of it is also that these players don't actually have a full read on what's going on. Like, unless they've heard what the coaching staff have said, that we're really going to focus on bot, we don't care if you lose the game, we just want to... Diving, by the way, is like a big one. They'll just practice dives over and over and over again for an entire scrim block, where sometimes, if that's not conducive to what your team wants to practice against, you might cancel the scrim and be like, guys, come on, are you just going to fucking four-man bot every single game? Because if so, we're going to fuck off. And they're like, yeah, that's what we're practicing. So like, all right, see ya. Happens all the time. So sometimes it's not just like, oh, they stomped us so hard they didn't want to play us. Sometimes it, what you're doing just appears to be griefing or isn't conducive to good practice for the other team that it's just not a good fit. So whenever you know, like... There was even a story exactly like that that got made a narrative in LEC. You remember the story about Wonder last year? where oh, they yeah, yeah. came out and yeah. was like, he tried to play in like fucking... Uh, I think it was Yumi yeah. they said wasn't it was it they were like he tried playing Yumi and they tried to, to spin this as though obviously Wonder doesn't play the game and then the story actually came out that like they did that because they'd already played like Janna top and they were yeah. winning scrims and something. so there was actually like an even totally justifiable reason but it was actually used as like a rod to just beat Wonder with more I remember yeah so yeah it was it, like basically whenever these players come out and they say like give these opinions it's not even a grain of salt like i would basically just disregard them because they yes. don't really mean anything and there are so many variables of what's going on and what the goals are from scrim to scrim that they can't possibly know unless the other team tell them which again they're just not going to do so to me it's like a, a complete um non-thing what i would say is how this differs to again this is like going back many years ago now but when i was involved in counter-strike scrims is it was quite a different vibe like obviously there's a certain extent you're trying certain things or playing maps you're weaker on or whatever but people would get depending on what the matchups were especially because in the scandy scene for example like we had a largely norwegian team for people who don't know it's the old team like rubino and rain um, back in the day like they all know the other teams they're playing against on like a pretty personal level and for them they treat it like a lot differently like it did actually feel much closer to actual games than it would like an LEC scrim to an LEC. LEC scrims, by the way, for people who don't know, are a complete fucking mess most of the time. Like, usually it's like 20 kills in like the first 10 minutes and then you reset. It's probably more often than not, you don't let the other team kill the Nexus. 
Most games, when the, everyone just decides, yeah, this is probably over, you just reset. That changed a little bit in the last couple of years because people realised, hey, we never get to practice late game. So they would contrive to create situations where they could practice late game. But it, before, let's say, 2019, all scrims in EU were over at like 20 minutes. And if, if players are ever honest about that, they'll tell you like, uh, even you know if their lane went bad, um, they might be asking to FF the game. So yeah, and again, in terms of like what people wanting to compare like the Kespa mindset and something, this is actually something where there is a legitimate, tangible difference between that culture and Western culture. What Western players do, again, this could be outdated, so I'm not necessarily painting the, the West with this brush entirely, but up until I was no longer involved, how Western teams generally behave in scrims, in my opinion, is disgraceful. I think that there's so much selfishness, there's so much ego, and there's so much forgetting that you're there to practice the specific things that your coaching staff want to teach you. And there are still people who are just going to try and 1v1 caps because it's caps in a scrim over and over and over again. I also think, by the way, if you want an example of why playing to win is bad in scrims, I would say last year's Rogue is the example. Because if I had to guess, obviously I wasn't there and I'm not actually using this from like behind the scenes info, but they look like a team that was just winning lanes in scrims and was just always in a dominant position at 20 minutes. And therefore they would only face that circumstance of the rogue time when they were on stage. And so essentially, like if I was their coach for real, I would be designing scenarios where I intentionally draft comps that are going to be behind, where I put you on a champion you play, but I put you in a tough situation where you can't just only farm and you're going to eventually have to learn decision-making and to be decided. I would have been spamming that in scrims. Now in doing so, by the way, we would lose tons of these scrims, of course, it goes without saying. So the problem is, if you want to have a nice 80% scrim win rate, and feel confident you're doing a different thing to what i'm trying to do if i'm a coach in that setting so just an example i thought i'd give for people i think scream culture in general has been kind of shat on it's 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 interesting as when you get to those international events specifically around msi and and worlds talking about from a league of legends perspective here um and, and you especially when they were hosted in europe i remember and you had the uh like the asian teams coming over to europe and like boot camping and and, and you know just getting ready for the tournaments uh, and the stories you hear about the scrims is it's almost it's it's it, it was it fascinated me how it seemed like EU teams or Western teams in general, I suppose, would kind of uh, change the way they performed in scrims or the way they treated the scrims, I should say, um, to to almost be worthy of the scrim time of these Asian teams, yes. especially the really good Asian teams. And I always thought about that. I was like, it's interesting that you know. You recognize these teams are like the, the big dick teams of the world, and that's why you want to scrim with them. You want to get the best practice. Don't you think maybe it's a good idea to just be practicing those scrims in such a way all year round, not yeah, just when you're yeah, trying to get this to play this team? Dude, you've nailed the dynamic. The problem is this when they're the they're the lesser one, they're the suitor trying to get the scrim, they get mm. that like, oh, I better play properly. But then the joke is when they go home and they're the big dick team, they're like, what, fucking XL? Nah, fuck yeah. it, just fucking pick whatever. And the joke is they don't get it when they're the big dick in the equation, you know. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. I just find that I just find that fascinating. But hey, man, yeah, I, yeah. at the end of the day, League of Legends, esports in general, some of the I always have to remind myself, like the average age of like the pro players, like what, like 19, 20. <laughs> I think about all the dumb shit and how much of an idiot I was at that age. Still am now, you know, I'll be getting to like 40 and I'll be like, yo, fucking hell. When I was 28, I was such a, you know, 
it's like it does not surprise me man all the stories that you hear and this is just another one of them the many stories the many branches on the tree that is esports with players being just the whatever. thing is though think... if it was a fully professional scene like a fully professional as in the as all aspects are professional not just on the technicality that people get paid then you wouldn't mm. have this behavior you know obviously i'm guilty or complicit of it in, in that i was in involved in making these infrastructures or whatever back when uh I was running uh, my own team. But if you went to, like, the under-18 system at, I don't know, Chelsea, Arsenal, whatever, these people are... It's, it's like, closer to military than what we see in how people behave in esports. So while, yeah, that's absolutely true and we were... Can you even imagine a League of Legends player doing a drill, do, which is, like, all football practices if people don't know. Well, that's it's not a... scrimmaging all the time. Well, it's, yeah. wasn't, that, wasn't that Weldon Green's vibe? That Get the fucking... That woodbuck guy in and get Weldon Green in. Yeah, yeah. There you go. And you seem to have a at least a little bit of success until Weldon Green is a sports psychologist. And then the whole vibe got a bit weird, but enough about that. That can ruin things I've found, you know. Yeah. Right. Interesting. <laughs> I'm, all right. I don't really know what to say about that one. I, mean, I was, <laughs> was going to say, you know what? I'm not even going to say what I was going to say. That's going to be the end of the show right here. Anything else you lovely chaps want to add? Speaking of TSM. My jersey still has not arrived. I was has thinking about this. It has not. They, they haven't. They've. No, haven't they haven't touched it. I was thinking about what I could do. I was thinking I'll do something mm. every day for it for it not arriving. And I thought I I might. And then I thought I can't really do this because it kind of opens floodgates and sets a bad precedence. But I was going to leak an embarrassing piece of insider information about Reggie for every single day that my shirt doesn't come. <laughs> But unfortunately, I am still working on what I'm going to do instead of that. Because as I said, even, as tempting as that is, I don't think I can really do it. Because I, I should, I wouldn't trust me if I was doing that to, with information anymore. But God, the amount of shit I have on this weasel! Just send my fucking jersey, dude. Like, come on, what's what's happening? He's not asking for much. He's not asking for much. Hell hath no fury like a like a rich scorned. He just wants this. He's a big fan, man. You're making him cry. He I'm, on, I'm actually CSM wondering, game. in all seriousness, at some point, just because I think it'd be really funny, I'm going to get the police involved. Like, no joke. Like, I've paid for something. Or, actually, technically, True. Thorin's paid for it. And so you should, you're you you're in this basket with me, Thorin. And yeah, yeah. they are literally not coming through. It's unbelievable. It's theft. You are a thief. The obvious joke is right now in China somewhere, Peter Zhang's just wearing a jersey that says Sven 5.5K on the back. So. You'd have to give a call to the ombudsman whatever he's called. Exactly. Like... But what, what a rap sheet <laughs> this guy is. Right. What a rap sheet this guy is building up though. Serial assaulter, albeit verbal from what we can tell. You'll have to ask Lena if it extends beyond that, I guess. Professional cuck, I think that's fair to say. And yep. now thief. Like what's what's next? Murder? Like what are we doing, Reggie? Come on. He's obviously escalating to that point. This is his. This uh, is the worst of all. Obviously. origin story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Who could who could deny such a thing? Well, I look forward to when that actually arrives, if it ever does. Um, and just like I look forward to watching the AC playoffs this weekend because I have no idea specifically how that Vitality G2 matchup is going to go. And I love. I, I I can't wait to see the clusterfuck that will be that series, guys. Was there anything else you wanted to say? Just moaning about the TSM jersey. You're all sorted. Banging stuff. All right. Thank you so much for watching, everyone. Appreciate you being here. As always, hashtag TSM jersey for Rich. We'll see you next time. That one's not going to trend, is it? Let's be real. <laughs>
we'll think of we'll think of something we're getting our own back i'll say that much